Thank you for tuning into the weekly sermon from Journey of Hope, a United Methodist community. We are a welcoming community that fosters belonging and acceptance. Through ministries, we enable individuals to transform their lives as they learn to follow Jesus Christ. We follow the guidance of the Spirit in sharing our faith through missional adventures, building relationships, and offering our witness to our community and world. We serve the Elgin, Illinois area and are located at the corner of Randall Road and Highland. To learn more about us, you can check us out at johumc.org or any of our social media platforms by searching Journey of Hope. And now, here is this week's message. Our first scripture reading is from Psalm 119, 73 to 76. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you Rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. May your unfailing love be my comfort, according to your promise to your servant. You'll notice uh, a new piece within our worship service, a 531 moment. And so our 531 moments are opportunities for us to share testimony, uh, to share stories of, of where we have met with God in a conflux moment. And, uh, and while I have not, uh, have not asked uh, this particular person about this sharing, I, I hope that she is okay with that because I didn't see her until just now. <laughs> uh, but uh, I was spending some time with, uh, with Mary Van Slyke, and, and she had shared with me a story. She had shared a story of, of how she, uh, she doesn't, as she said, normally usually pray for her sons while they're flying and uh, not really praying for their safety because she knows they're safe. Uh, but there was a moment when she was awoken, woken up through the night to pray. She just had this nudge to pray for her son's safety. And so she prayed for the safety uh, of her son. And later that day, she got a call from her son. And her son shared with her this incredible story of a daring landing that he had to make. The Spirit woke her up to ask her to pray. A conflux moment that Mary recognized after hearing the message of all of these moments that we have. And so I encourage you to continue to look for those moments and to share those moments because they are around us every day. Thank you, Mary. This morning's scripture reading is from 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 through 30. Would you please stand as you are able? God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight, and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East, and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. Second reading is from Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, 
tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. May God bless the reading, hearing, and understanding of his word. Amen. I'm going to ask that you would pray with me this morning. Gracious and almighty God, God, I ask that you would, that you would speak, uh, that as we gather together that, uh, and as we strive to hear your words, God, that the words that I would speak would no longer be my own, but that they would be your words for your people. God, speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. So I encourage you to have your bulletins. In your bulletins, you've got your compass guides, your questions, your spaces to write down some notes uh, so that when the Spirit speaks to you this morning, uh, you can jot those notes down so that you don't forget. Uh, so I think if we look hard enough, we can see the gospel message all around us. All around us. Uh, we see it in the lives of, of others around us. We see it in the lives of family and of friends and those who share love and grace. We can hear it in music, certainly in hymns and in classical music, as well as in uh, choral music that the choir had to share this morning. It's also evident in contemporary Christian music like we hear during Pathways, Guided Worship. But we also hear it in popular music. Whether it's country, pop, or rock, or any other genre, it doesn't take long for us to hear message, messages of love, grace, and forgiveness found in them as well. This wonderful message is also found with movies, and we kind of found that out. Uh, if you remember, we found that out during our, our series on the redemption of Scrooge and the Grinch worship series. Last summer, we, we looked into uh, those messages in movies like The Last Word, Collateral Beauty, and even The Greatest Showman. Well, for the next five weeks, we're going to take a look into another world-famous movie and story. It's got characters that, that we love. There's a story of longing, redemption, forgiveness. It is The Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz is probably one of the best films of all time, certainly one of the most watched films. I wonder if this is one of those movies that everyone here has seen at one time in their life. And maybe if you haven't, you're probably aware of the storyline. You're probably aware of the characters and, and even some of the actors that have starred in this Hollywood blockbuster. But, but before we get into that... I wanted to share just a little bit about the movie because I found it very interesting. First, it was an adaptation of the children's fantasy novel, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, written by Frank Baum in 1900. The original release date was August 25th, 1939. 
didn't perform real well in 39. It wasn't actually until a re-release in 1949 that this movie began a journey toward a blockbuster. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I thought this movie was made on a tight budget. I thought that was the story that I had heard, the backstory. Uh, but most movies around this time were, were produced at a cost of $1.5 million in 1939. The Wizard of Oz was produced at a cost of almost $2.8 million. So I was wrong when I heard that. Now, while we could go on and on about the good things that happened during the production, we could also say just about the same with things that went wrong. One thing I do want to point out deals with many of the characters that we're going to be talking about over this series. Now, we are doing better now, but we still have a long way to go. However, please know that the, the weekly salary for the Scarecrow and the Tin Man were about $3,000 a week. The lovable, cowardly lion, $2,500 a week. But Dorothy, the absolute star of the show, she was paid about 500 a week. In contrast, Toto, Toto got 125. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if that was paid in dog treats or, or what, but I'm sure he had a pretty comfy bed to rest in during takes. Oh, and the other little tidbit of information I found as I was searching this out was, did you know that actually Toto was a female dog. <laughs> I didn't know that. All right, well, enough about all of that, the background of, of Wizard of Oz. Let's talk a little bit about the character that we're focusing on today, and that is the Scarecrow. If I Only Had a Brain is a song that he sings when we are introduced to him, but he also has a really good line, and I'm wondering, actually, I know they're frantically working on the, uh, the live stream back there, but do you have the video there? I want you to, I want you to hear this little line that he has. Who said that? Don't be silly, Toto. Scarecrows don't talk. It's pleasant down that way, too. That's funny. Wasn't he pointing the other way? Of course, people do go both ways. Why, you did say something, didn't you? Are you doing that on purpose? Or can't you make up your mind? That's the trouble. I can't make up my mind. I haven't got a brain. Only straw. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Don't they? Yes, <laughs> I guess you're right. I wonder if you know someone like that. <laughs> you know someone without a brain that does an awful lot of talking? As I stand up here and talk for 15, 20 minutes? <laughs> Don't answer that out loud. Uh, in fact, for, well, if they're, if they're watching online, if, they're, if they made it there, probably shouldn't put that in the comments either. Uh, the scarecrow wants nothing more than to feel like he is smart. Like he has a brain and that he can use it. The funny thing is, throughout the movie, the scarecrow's using his brain all the time. I wonder if you noticed that. I remember a scene where Dorothy was picking apples. 
or she wanted to pick apples off the tree and the, the trees came to life. Well, the scarecrow came up with the idea of how to get apples. He came up with this idea to insult the trees so that they would throw the apples at them. Pretty smart, if you ask me. I mean, when you watch it again, notice all the times when the scarecrow comes up with a solution, a solution to a problem. Far too interesting, isn't it? But when you think of uh, some of the smartest people in your life, who do you think of? Are there special people in your life that you would classify as intelligent? What makes them this way for you? Is it book smarts, street smarts, biblical smarts, or maybe they just have common sense or emotional intelligence? When, when we look into Scripture, we find many people who were wise and had a good amount of knowledge. However, there's one that seems to top them all. We heard about him this morning, uh, just a bit ago, as we heard that Solomon's wisdom surpassed all the people in the East and all the wisdom in Egypt. Do you remember how he got his knowledge? I mean, one chapter earlier in 1 Kings, we find God speaking to Solomon in a dream, asking Solomon what he wanted. Now, if you remember, I told you that during our series on prayer, God does not kind of work like a genie in a bottle. But if we were to look at this story, we might actually question that thought. God wants to know what Solomon wants. What do you want? And he certainly could have asked for riches, for fame, for strength, for leadership, for any number of things. Instead, he said, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this great people. Solomon asks for wisdom, understanding, and a discerning heart. And God grants him this request. However, because he asked for wisdom and not for all of those other things that I had mentioned, God decides to give all of those to him anyway. And the wisdom comes in handy. Pretty quick, actually. As he needed to render a judgment between two women who both declared that an infant was theirs. It's an interesting story. One that has a strange twist. And this comes as Solomon asked for a sword to divide the infant in two so that each mother could have half. It's true. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16 through 28. Look it up and read that story sometime. Solomon knew that knowledge and understanding was a good thing, and so did John Wesley, the founder of this Methodist movement. He started this movement as a renewal within the Anglican Church of England. He, he never was interested in starting a brand new denomination. He had a heart for people and wanted them to grow in their knowledge and understanding of God, who God is. Wesley thought of Christianity as uh, his words were a thinking man's religion. Knowledge was important. 
He believed in this so much that he would give sermons about this topic. I was just reading one the other day called The Case of Reason, Impartially Considered. In it, he would talk about using this understanding or reason to more fully understand God. Wesley was an Oxford scholar and professor, surely filled with knowledge of the world, but also spent a great deal of time reading the Scriptures. Many would mischaracterize him by saying that he was a man of one book. This would point to his knowledge of the Bible, but he was very well versed in so many other areas. Rumor has it that when he was on horseback riding from town to town, he would spend most of that time reading his Bible. Now, please don't take that as an okay to read your Bible while driving down Randall Road. Although you could get an app that could read it to you, that would be better. But see, Wesley also thought that this knowledge was meant for everyone. Reading and writing were important to him, and he wanted others to be able to do the same. Our brains are meant to be used. After all, God did create us with this capacity. There There was a theologian by the name of Albert Outler. Uh, who studied John Wesley extensively. He read his sermons, his journals, his notes, and his letters, and as he was studying, he realized that John Wesley would use a certain method to help in his understanding of, of God and some of the doctrine that he would teach. While John never used the term, because Albert Outler coined this phrase, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, Now, for those of you math people here, I know there's a few of you. It's probably exciting to hear mathematical terms in a sermon, but but let me explain what this is all about. You see, a quadrilateral is a rectangular shape, four sides, four corners. Outler would put one of each of these theological methods or devices on the corners. The four are scripture, reason, Tradition and experience. Scripture was always primary for Wesley, no doubt in our minds. This is where we receive much of the knowledge of God as well as, the, as, well as God's plan for creation. Wesley would say that Scripture is infallible. I had a really hard time trying to understand the difference between these words. Uh, infallible, totally reliable in teaching and understanding God's will and God's plan. He would not say that the Bible is inerrant, which basically means without any errors. The Bible is a holy and sacred book, but it is written with human hands. We can see this especially in the gospel accounts where we find things that contradict each other. Stories are told with different emphases, depending on the writer. It doesn't mean that the stories are wrong or that someone entered false information, but we can, we can also say that the words are written on the page and not dictated by God. There is interpretation by the author because of the people that they were writing to. Scripture is written for a certain time and place. Right, Keith? 
However, Scripture is primary in our understanding of God. Everything else is viewed through the lens of Scripture. That means that the second part of the quadrilateral, reason, which is the knowledge and understanding that we've been given by God, helps us understand what we are reading. Wesley would use reason so often that it was rare uh, that he would go by Scripture alone. Again, Christianity is a thinking religion. The other corners of the great are the great tradition of the church. This is the church universal. Much of the time it was the Anglican church because that's where John was a priest. But this could also be the early apostolic church, the Catholic church, or either, even Luther and Calvin. Finally, the last corner was experience. These are not just our own personal experiences, which are very, very evident as you sit in small groups here in church and you share your stories, but it's also external experiences. These are long-term experiences. They are communal experiences that you share with others. These are moments in history that we join together in our lived-out experience. Things like 9-11, natural disasters, or even big celebrations like weddings or graduations or community gatherings. These are all communal experiences that we share. During seminary, however, a friend brought a better understanding to the quadrilateral as he introduced a different image, and I think I've shown this to you before, but a better view of this method would be a tetrahedron. And I think I've got an image of the tetrahedron. Uh, There it is. A better view. You can see from this image at the screen that Scripture would be on the top because it is primary, the source of understanding who God is. Rounding out the bottom three are reason, tradition, and experience. However, as you see on this, Scripture would be tied to all points reason, tradition, and experience. Once I saw this image, it made more sense to me. It's not separated like the quadrilateral was. One of the questions that every candidate for ordination must answer is how would you use the quadrilateral within a circumstance in the church? How would you use it to make decisions about ministries or a major decision for the church? Again, challenging us to use the God-given ability to reason to fully utilize the wisdom which we are asked to do. God has given us a brain, so why not use it? In our passage from Matthew this morning, we find a story about a lawyer, someone who we assume has knowledge. But he asked Jesus a question. And the question is, is what is the greatest commandment? Jesus' response is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, And then we're also to love our neighbor as ourself. But how do we know how we should do this? Jesus doesn't give us that information in his response. You see, the answer to that comes in the whole of Scripture. All of Scripture helps us understand that. But more than that, it also comes in the knowledge that we receive from schooling, reading, studying, life experiences, teachings, and the church. 
All of this combined gives us a greater understanding of how we are to love God, to love our neighbor. The scarecrow meets up again with the the great and powerful Oz, hoping to get his brain. In that moment, the wizard recalls creation. He tells us that everything on earth was created with a brain and that the scarecrow, as I stated earlier, has already used his. The wizard, you see, doesn't offer him a brain. Instead, he gives him a diploma. Gives him a diploma, a symbol of the brain that he already has. So let me remind you today that we are all part of God's creation. We have been blessed with wisdom and understanding about not only this life, but also the knowledge of God. I think we truly know how to love God and love our neighbor. We just maybe need a symbol or someone to tell us to go and to do it. Like when the wizard gave the scarecrow his diploma, encouraged him and empowered him to continue to use his brain. So let me tell you today, go and love everybody regardless of who you might think they are, because you know what? They are God's creation, just like all of us. Go and love them. So if you need your diploma today, that empowerment to say this is what you should do, that's it. Go and love people. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor, which is everybody, as yourself, which also means love yourself because it's going to be really hard to love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself. Will you pray with me? Gracious and almighty God, we thank you for this message, a message that you have created us with intellect, with reason, with wisdom, And God, you continue to offer that to us as we study Scripture, as we learn from our brothers and sisters around us by their experiences through the the wonderful tradition of your church. And so God, help us to know you more. Help us to truly understand your love for us, your grace. And the way that you offer us new life. God, we thank you for that message. And we thank you for the way that you do love us. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as we get ready to leave this place, may we all know that that God has blessed us with a brain. That we can use this. We don't need a symbol that tells us that we can use it by loving God and loving our neighbor. But if you need it, go and do it. (laughs) So as we get ready to leave this place, maybe go across the hall and enjoy some fellowship time and and some snacks. May you go. May you go knowing that the love of God, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit goes with you. And it goes with you always. Amen.